All right, good morning, church. Good morning. So I'm going to let you in on one of the major controversies in the Webb household. Um, and it may be a controversy in your household as well. It centers around temperature, um, whether it be in the car or whether it be in the house. There always seems to be controversy over whether it's too hot or whether it's too cold. My eight-year-old daughter, every time we get in the car, even in the heart, in the midst of a Georgia summer, she, her first thing is, it's too cold in here. I need the heat turned on. And we're like, no, it's, it's Georgia. It's summer. We don't turn the heat on in the car. And then we have this battle at our house over the thermostat. Maybe you have the same kind of battle. My wife, my wife likes the thermostat at like 72, 74. And my response is, I have to send Walton EMC too much money when it's at 72, 74. Uh, 78 is more in the Lord's will because it lowers my electric bill. And so let's just keep it at 78. And so there's this constant battle over the thermostat. And so what we've done to kind of make everybody happy is we've come up with a solution where those who are too cold dress in layers, right? So that's kind of what we're talking about today when we talk about the guide to the Christian dress. We're dressing in layers, and there's three things that I want you to think of are three layers to our Christian life that we find in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians with me. We'll read it in just a moment. Our main focus this morning is three, chapter 3, verse 12, but we're going to read a little bit before that, starting in verse 5, and read a little bit after that too, just to kind of help us get some context. But before we read, I want to tell you a little bit about this passage and this this book of Colossians. I love the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul is writing this book. It's one of his prison epistles. He's writing to the church at Colossae. And the first part of the book of Colossians is very theological. It's just a, a lot of, um, of knowledge or study about who God is. The book of Colossians tells us a lot about God and about who Jesus Christ is. And then the second half of the book of Colossians, which is kind of where we find our passage today, it's a lot more of the practical theology. It's okay. And so here's what you know about God. Here's what you know about Christ. Here's what you know about humanity's sinful condition. And so here's how you apply it to your life. And so this passage that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae is, um, <clears throat> is a very practical passage. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians. We'll start in verse 5. And we'll go through verse 17, but our main focus is verse 12. And in this first part, Paul is telling us some things that we should put off. So we said we're going to talk about how to layer up as a Christian, how to dress as a Christian, some things you need in your life. But this first part is some things that Paul is saying, hey, you need to get this out of your life. And so focus on that with me through the first um, few verses here. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if any, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. If you would join me as we pray and just ask the Lord to bless this time in his word. Father, we do thank you this morning for giving us the chance to come together corporately as the body of Christ, as the family of God. We've been redeemed by your blood and we can come and we can worship you freely through what we sing, through what we say, when we read and when we confess and when we pray together and through the hearing of your word. And so, Father, we do pray that we would respond um, as your Holy Spirit leads us today through your word, that we would appropriate your truth into our hearts, that we would respond with openness to whatever it is that you want to communicate to us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us clearly, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see Jesus and see him only. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three words that I want us to look at this morning that Paul talks about in verse 12 that we should put on. And so again, this is that kind of idea of layering up and how the Christian should dress spiritually. And so this is, um, the first word is chosen. So he says, put on then as God's chosen ones. And all three of these words that we're going to talk about this morning, it may be something that you don't really think of when you think of your self in relationship to God. It may be a bit of surprise for us, even if we are believers, because it's it's not how we think of ourselves. We live in a society where there's a lot of things that, that come at us and tell us to view ourselves in a certain way. And there's a lot of things that we struggle with, a lot of anxiety and depression and self-identity and all kinds of things that we just struggle with as ourselves and even as part of our culture. And so Paul comes and he says, this is kind of a different way of thinking. And the first way that you that I want you to think of yourself is as chosen ones. And that's pretty an amazing fact if you stop and think about that, that God, the creator of the universe, holy God, would choose to have a relationship with you and that he would choose to have a relationship with me because there's nothing inside of you and there's nothing inside of me that deserves that. We have no right to come before the creator, the holy God, and say, I deserve something from you. I deserve mercy. I deserve grace. And yet here God is, and he offers it freely, and he gives us and he, he, grace, and he gives us mercy, and he chooses to have a relationship with us. And so I want you to just think about what it feels like to be chosen. It feels pretty good to be chosen, right? Um, this past week, I got to do something that I haven't done since I was a child. I got to play tetherball. Has anybody ever played tetherball? You know what I'm talking about. So if you're not familiar with the game of tetherball, um, it's a pretty sophisticated game. You have a pole and you have a rope with a ball on the end of the rope and you try to hit the ball around where the rope is 
tight around the pole and the other person tries to stop you from doing that and spin the ball the other way and whichever person wraps their rope around the pole first is the champion of tetherball so i was playing this week with adrian at an ice cream shop in blairsville and so we're playing tetherball and of course i'm one thank you and when we got done i said i said to her i said you know i wasn't good at a lot of things when i was a child but i was great at tetherball at Far Elementary, we had a tetherball on our playground, and I played all the time, and I love tetherball. Tetherball is an individual sport, right? Like, I mean, you're either good or you're not good. And, uh, and then the thing I wasn't so great at, though, and I don't really understand why I was good at tetherball, because my challenge in this next thing seems like it would translate to tetherball. Um, so at recess, when I was at Far Elementary, we would play one of two games. We would play kickball or we would play rugby. Our teachers preferred that we play kickball because rugby could get very violent um, with a bunch of fourth and fifth grade boys. And so um, <clears throat> I had a, tra a challenge playing kickball or rug uh, rugby because I wasn't very athletically built as a child. Um, and so I remember as a child, when we would go shopping, we had to buy the, the husky size jeans. And Chris, my mom told me that husky meant strong. That ain't true. Husky, husky means that you're a little bit overweight. And so we would buy these husky jeans, and I would go out to recess, and we would pick teams. So we would have a captain on team A, and we would have a captain on team B, and, and they would start picking, right? And so I'm always like, man, I just hope I'm not the last kid picked, you know, because you don't want to be the last kid that's standing there. And maybe you've been there, and maybe you felt like what, what that feels like it just feels horrible when neither team captain wants you on your team and they're like, oh man, I guess I'll take Adam since nobody's left. That's just not a good feeling, right? You want to be the first kid picked. You want to be the one that even gets to be the captain. You want to be the one that everybody wants on their team. And so when Paul says, hey, you are chosen ones of God, it's not like God is saying, uh, I guess I'll choose you. Um, God is saying, I want you on my team. In fact, I want a relationship with you so much that I sent my son to die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took all of your sin, he took all of your guilt, all of your transgressions, everything, and it was placed on him. And because of that, you have access to the kingdom. You have access to the Father, and you were chosen, and you were bought, at a very high cost. And don't ever think that you're not worthy of being chosen by God. I don't care what kind of struggles you have. I don't care what you're dealing with. God saw all of that, and he still chose you. If you would, turn with me over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And this is, this is a great passage about God choosing to have a relationship with us. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul writes here, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which... Uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then listen to this. It says, in him we have redemption through, and it doesn't say 
our good works. It doesn't say because we do the right things. It doesn't say because of who we are. It says through his blood. And so all of that that he just said, that we are chosen, that we are predestined, that we are adopted into the family of God, all of that is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So I don't know, maybe you came in this morning and you just came in feeling a little unworthy. My encouragement to you from the word of God is don't feel unworthy this morning because God has chosen you and he's chosen you at a high cost, which included even the blood of his son. And so if you go back over to Colossians with me, the, um, the passage continues. And the second thing that Paul says we're to put on is holy. And so we, we come to this word holy, and there's a lot of different ideas about um, what holy means. But here's what we know. We know that God is holy, and that it means that he is completely blameless. It means that he is completely pure. It means that there is no guilt. There is no fault in him. He is the holy God. And we know that Peter tells us that we are to be holy because he is holy. But I, most Christians that I meet and talk to don't feel very holy. And I don't know if you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, I'm pretty holy today. Um, or if you kind of struggle with that a little bit and struggle with your relationship with God and your Christian walk and what that looks like. I think the best way to kind of come around this idea of holiness and living a holy, blameless life before God is that we see how holy he is. And I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 6. So if you'll keep your place there in Colossians and we go back to the book of Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament, I think this is one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture, just about the holiness of God. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook as the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and had taken it with tongues from the altar. And he had touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So two thoughts on holiness from what Paul says and what we learn in the Old Testament. One is focus on the holiness of God. If you want to be holy, don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on how holy you are or how holy you are not, but instead focus on how holy God is. Because when we really see how holy God is, something's going to happen to us that happened Isaiah in this passage. He's going to look back and he's going to see how sinful he is. Isaiah sees this holiness of God in a profound way. And then his immediate spot, the response says, woe is me for I am undone. And so in the Old Testament, prophets would often pronounce woe upon peoples or upon cities. And that literally meant destruction 
from the Lord. And most of the time, that destruction was a result of their sin. And so Isaiah is literally seeing the holiness of the Lord. And he says, whoa, that's not me. I'm unholy. There's destruction upon me because of how holy God is. But then if you look and you see what happens after that, the seraphim come and they touch his lips with a coal and they say that your sin is atoned for. That's not anything Isaiah did. That's what God did. That's what the holy God did. He atoned for Isaiah's sin. And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me, I'll go out, I'll proclaim the word of the Lord because the Lord is holy and he has made me holy. And so as we think about holiness and you, you know, maybe if you look yourself in the mirror this week, don't say how holy you are or how holy you are not, but instead say how holy God is. And then the second piece of this is to take what Peter says. We're to try to be holy because God is holy. And so I don't want to be holy so that um, I can impress people or so that people think that I'm spiritual. I want to be holy because my Savior is holy, because God is holy, and he has made me holy. And so <clears throat> Paul tells us how to do that in a practical way here. He, he tells us things to put off in verse 5 through 11, <clears throat> and then in verses um, 12 through or 13 through 16, right after this passage we're looking at today, he tells us how to be equipped. And so if you want to know how to live this holy life, man, just go through this passage and do some of these things that he says. Look at what he says, verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, putting on love, <clears throat> letting Christ rule in your hearts, um, let the word of God dwell richly in you. We talked about that a lot last week when we looked at Psalm 1. And <clears throat> then he says to um, sing psalms together and hymns and spiritual psalms. That's one thing that we're doing today as we gather and worship together, is we're doing those things. And he says, whatever you do in word or deed, <coughs> excuse me, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and give thanks to him. So that's just some really practical ways that we can that we can experience holiness so god tells us that we are chosen through paul and then paul also writes that we are we are holy we are we are holy and god is holy and then if you look at this third word he says we are beloved so this is the the third um the the third layer that we're supposed to put on and so I wanted to share with you um, about a couple classes that I took when I was in Bible college. I took a couple classengers, uh, classes from a, from a professor named Dr. Derringer. And um, I love Dr. Derringer's classes because I took like a preaching class from him and a practical ministry class and all kinds of things. But um, his whole class, and these classes weren't like short classes. These classes were like three-hour blocks, right? And so he would just go for three hours teaching us. And so... Um, but he would always, like every other sentence, he would say, beloved, and then he would say what he had to say. And then he would go, you know, a couple sentences more, and he would stop and he would say, beloved. And I loved hearing that. Like, I, I wish that I could talk like that. I wish that it was just natural for me to get up here and, and say beloved every other sentence. But I can't do it. But he did it. And I loved it because it just, it, may, it reminded me, you know what? I am beloved. I am loved by God. And not only that, but when you hear that word beloved, it, it tells you you're loved by God, but it also tells you that you're loved by others in the church. And again, this isn't based on what we've done or what we haven't done, but it's based on who God is. Just as God is ultimately holy, God is ultimately love. And that's how we know what love is, because God has given us love 
unconditionally. God has lavished his love upon us, Scripture says. And so <clears throat> there's this, this idea that God loves us um, more than we could ever be loved. And so as I was praying through and preparing this message today, um, I just thought through that. I thought, man, how many people um, in our church family or in our community or where we live, work, and play just don't feel loved? And they just need to feel like they are beloved, like Dr. Derringer told us we were in Bible college, because God is love. And so if we really are responding to the gospel and we really are living out our Christian life, then we're going to love others because God has first loved us and he has shown us how to love. And so <clears throat> I wanted to share with you um, just a little bit of my story and my testimony and that sort of thing. Um, so I became a Christian um, in 1994. So that was that was a while ago. I was um, 11 or just just 11 years old at the time. And uh, J.B. Reese was the pastor at Sunrise Baptist Church when where my family had been attending. And J.B. came to our house one Saturday afternoon, and he just opened up Scripture and shared the gospel with me. He went through the Roman road. He went through the book of Romans, and he just laid it out. He said, you know what? We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but God has, has sent his Son. And if we believe that in our hearts and we confess that with our mouth, we can be saved. But then he did something that um, I haven't really heard a lot before since then. He uh, opened up the Bible to John 3.16, which is probably a familiar verse for a lot of us. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, where it says world, stop and put your name there. And he said, so for God so loved Adam that he sent his son. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And it led me to responding to the gospel in repentance. And I just want to share that with you today, that God loves you. You are beloved. And he loves you so much that what JB told me on November 12th, 1994, is the same thing that's true for you today. That God loved you so much, insert your name there, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And it's because of that that you can rest on this hope that you can put on every day as your identity, that you are chosen, that you are, that you are holy, and that you are beloved because of what Christ has done. Colossians, Paul tells us earlier in the chapter that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so I think the practical application for us this week is to, to every day maybe pray through these three things, just to pray that today we would remember that we are chosen by God, that we are holy, and that we are beloved by him. And whatever comes your way, whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever joy, Man, this week, rest in those three things and respond to the gospel in those three things. Last week, we talked about preaching the gospel to yourself. Man, preach those three words to yourself this week. Every day, I am chosen, I am holy, and I am beloved. And so I want to just pray that God would appropriate that into our hearts and that we would live that out as a church family this week because I think God will accomplish amazing things in our own lives spiritually and our church family and our community when we live that out.